Beautiful people. Welcome to 321 No Kidding. Thank you for being here with us today. I have, I don't even know that I have the right words for this interview. Powerful, intense, humbling, so many things, so many things. My guest today, Jody, Jody Hardy, is going to share her story with us and her struggles with opioid addiction and what what her life has been like the last few years. And, um, you know, I, I would suggest that you have some tissues handy. That's for sure. This was the most intense interview to date for me where it was really hard for me to keep my composure. So, um, so much value and so much gratitude after hearing Jody's story, though. So I hope that you find it as compelling as I do. I'm very confident that you will. And uh, yeah, let's get this started. Hello, Jody. Welcome to 321. No kidding. Hi, how are you? I'm so happy to be here. I'm so super excited. I'm here. You've shared a little of your story with me, and I'm excited for you to share it with the audience. It's a powerful, amazing journey you've been on. So why don't you kick us off? Okay. So I want to take you guys back to February 2018. I'm in Canada, northern Canada. So we had just had a massive snowstorm and the roads were treacherous for days. I was supposed to be going up to Fort McMurray four hours away to visit my husband because he works remotely with our four-year-old daughter, Marley. And I was worried about the roads. I told my husband, Mike, this. And his response was, the roads are dry, Jody. You drive one hour and the roads are dry and clear. I want to see you and Marley like we've been planning. Now, Mike was the manager of a trucking company. And he was an expert at knowing how the roads were. And he was an expert at assessing my driving capabilities. And he was not worried. He had full confidence in me. I decided to keep my husband first to honor the promise and the plan that we had made. February 3rd came. I put in a half day of work, went to my sister's to pick up Marley, drove home to quickly change from work. And Marley, she was so excited for her dad to see her in overalls as daddy loved overalls. And she always said no, but we had bought her new clothes. And she loved this pair. So it was going to be a surprise for him. I backed out of the driveway and we called Mike. I told him that we were just leaving and Marley piped up, Daddy, are you excited to see your favorite four-year-old little girl? She had three sisters, so she made that distinction. I sure am, sweetheart, he said. They ended the phone call by telling each other they loved one another and they said goodbye. Marley was so excited about her surprise for him. She was giggling and wiggling in her seat afterwards. The next memory I have was me leaning to my left, slumped over the steering wheel and knowing not to move. I heard a man's voice and I pleaded, call my husband, call my husband. 
Inside, I thought, I can't hear Marley. She's in trouble. But if I call out to her, if I wake her, I don't want her to hurt. My heart, however, whispered, Marley's gone. I must have given that the man Mike's number because I remember asking, Mike, yes, honey, is it Saturday? Yes, it is, sweetheart. Were we coming to see you? Yes, you were, honey. Mike, I can't hear Marley. I don't know how she is. I can't hear Marley. Mother's heart knows. And after doctors realized that they could not keep this mother in a chemically induced coma, no matter how hard they tried, it was decided that I be told. Three days after the accident, Mike lovingly sat beside me and told me that our little girl was gone. I asked if it had been my fault, and he adamantly said no. The other driver had crossed into our lane, and he hit us head-on at highway speeds, killing Marley instantly. They told me I would be in the hospital for 10 months recovering, and I told them they were wrong. (laughs) I had clients with knee and hip replacements, and they were fine after six weeks. I mean, I only had broken bones. I knew this. Because after all, I was the massage therapist. I actually have titanium rods in all of my long bones from the hip down. I had multiple compound fractures in my tibias. All of my right toes were broken clean. My talus and my ankle was shattered. My kneecap was shattered, which had to be reattached. I had multiple compound fractures and breaks in my femurs. And I have a bilateral hip plate because the femoral neck nearly was snapped right off. I shouldn't be walking as well as I am today. And I should not have 100% blood flow restored to my femur. I should have very limited mobility, but I don't. I have almost 90% restored after two and a half years. Remember how I said they predicted that I would be in the hospital for 10 months? Yes. I was out in four because I implemented every single thing I knew from the last 16 years of my alternative career, and I implemented it into my recovery. And now I'm a health and life coach, and I help people who are stressed, who are overwhelmed, who have been through trauma or life-changing diagnosis. And I implement everything that I did into these programs. I know what it's like to have been on massive amount of drugs. I was on opioids. I was on ketamine. I was on an antipsychotic, gabapentin, and an antidepressant. I know what it's like to live on those. And at the beginning, I was on 76 milligrams of Dilaudid. And for those of you that aren't familiar with that, 70, every three milligrams of Dilaudid is like five milligrams of morphine. So I had to tailor off over time and it was not easy. And that's going to be a little of what you share with us today. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That story is just like breaking my heart and I appreciate you sharing it with all of us. Yeah. You're welcome. <laughs> it's a little much. It's heavy. I, I get it. And I wouldn't be where I am today if I didn't implement everything I knew. 
I still need a lot more work. <laughs> That's for sure. Just hearing you be able to tell that. And to me, two years is not a long time. No. It's not a long time at all. So hearing that and hearing the place that you're coming from really leads me to believe what you're offering in this world can be delivered by you and and you're this amazing example of it. So I can't wait to learn more. (laughs) I think it's really important to say that before my accident, I hardly took anything. Like I would rarely take an Advil or a Tylenol as I managed everything virtually with alternative medicine or treatments. So when I woke up feeling... So before we get into it, I think it's really important that I do say that before my accident, I rarely took a Tylenol or Advil. I managed everything alternative or with alternative treatments. So when I woke up heavily sedated and attached to a pump that would give me instant pain relief, that was really frustrating to me. And to this day, I'm not sure whether it was a lack of understanding of what happened to me at the beginning or whether it was a frustration that I was so heavily dependent on all of the narcotics I was on and not being able to just lower them as I thought I should. So whoever is is on any narcotic or any alcohol substance, just know that the frustration is normal. Frustration can be normal, especially when you're looking to get off of it and it's okay. It's okay to not be okay. Yeah, totally. Totally be o- not be okay and be angry and frustrated and just just all the things that encompass that. <laughs> so what I'm hearing from you is you don't believe in drugs. You don't use drugs. They're like a necessary evil because of mm-hmm. the situation you're in. So how do you go from this 75 milligrams to today? <laughs> Oh, that was hard. That was hard because I had so much going on. Like I lost my family as I knew it. I like for a time I lost my marriage. I lost the home that I was in. I lost my career. I can never go back to what massage therapy again. So there was a lot of grief. When you're on that amount of narcotics and you start slow, they start weaning you off and they start weaning you off quite quickly. Like within a week and a half, they were lowering my dose and then we were chasing pain. So pain, I'm going to speak as somebody who does have chronic pain issues because that's where a lot of addictions can stem from. And that's what I know. They don't tell you that when you're coming off of them, the emotions can be unmanageable you know, the an erratic. They don't tell you that the ability to monitor yourself and your body temperature is normal. You know, you can't do that and the body goes through detox. So it is a really, really slow process. Yet when you're in the health spectrum in the hospital, and I think it's really important that I make the distinction that I am in Canada. So there's no rush for me to get out of the hospital for however long I needed to be there. That's how long I was there. Nobody was wanting to kick me out so that they could get somebody else in there or my insurance didn't cover everything. So I went without care. I had everything at my disposal that I could possibly need for my recovery, but they still want you off of these narcotics. But when dealing with chronic pain, if you go too fast then you're chasing pain. And if you go too fast, you can't do physiotherapy. So it is a very slow 
frustrating process if you're not used to being on that. And I mean, to this day, I will still occasionally take them because nothing else works better. I know that there's a lot of other alternatives out there. And trust me, I have tried them. (laughs) But when you are dealing with this type of pain, nothing else works better. So it is really trusting your health professionals and asking those questions of what dose is easier to get rid of first. When dealing with opioids, as I know that we're North America is experiencing an opioid crisis, the easiest one to get rid of is the midday one because typically you'll want it at night to help you sleep and then you'll want it again in the morning so that you can get moving. And remember, I'm speaking as a chronic pain person, right? So the easiest one to get rid of is the afternoon. But so many patients are not given this information by their healthcare professionals. So then they just experiment and then they decide that, okay, this doesn't work or no, that didn't work. So I'm not even going to try. And then they just stay on it. So it really is a system and it has to be systematic and it has to be thought out and the questions need to be asked so that you can get the right answers. So how did you learn that, I guess? Was it your trial and error? No, I actually had, I took over my pain management quite quickly. I was very eager to get off. So as soon probably about four or five weeks after the accident, I was asking what dose I could lower it. Like, can we lower this dose? Can we lower it? Let's just lower them all. Let's lower them all. And then I was told, well, that's not a good idea, Jody. <laughs> Jody, we want you to keep moving in the morning. So let's not lower the dose in the morning. But you know what? Let's try the afternoon because you're not really as busy and you don't have to do your therapies in the afternoon. So that's kind of how they educated me to do this. But I wouldn't say that the real education came until about three and a half months into my recovery. And that was when pharmacist actually came and talked to me. And I was talking to her about, because I was still on a lot of things. I was still on baclofen, which is a major muscle relaxant. It stops muscle spasms. I was still on gabapentin, which really affects the short-term memory. So to be able to remember things clearly and recall things clearly, I couldn't do. And then the dilaudid which, you know, if you don't take it, you're in pain. And she was the one that said, you know what, the first dose that you're going to start eliminating is your afternoon one. And you're going to start with the dilaudid because the baclofen and the gabapentin will come eventually, but it's the dilaudid because it's so addictive. So we started with the afternoon and then at nighttime, we started slowly tapering those off. And by the time I was released from the hospital, I was on about 46 milligrams of dilaudid. So I'm almost cutting it in half. I mean, yeah, it would take a little of my math and percentages, but... Right, I'm not a math person either. (laughs) Like some progress. What other tools were you using to combat... We, we talked a little about the symptoms, like the, the moods and the temperature and, and things going on with your body. Mm-hmm. What were you doing to combat those symptoms that were happening as a result of slowing down your medication? And if I didn't ask that question correctly, correct me. No, no, no. You answered it great. And I couldn't actually start implementing things really until I got out of the hospital. And when I got out of the hospital, and what a lot of people don't know is dilaudid will affect the appetite. So when you're on that much, you're not hungry and you can force yourself to eat all you want, but you can get violently ill. Like both ends are going 
because the body just can't take it. So I was on about 600 to 800 calories per day and my hair was falling out by wads. So what I did to help counteract this and to try and get my body the minerals and the vitamins that it did, it needed so that I could start recovering because the bone and the muscle can't heal without nutrients. <laughs> like ideally, I should have been consuming 2,400 calories a day for the types of injuries that I had. And I was at 600 to 800. So I found a really diverse shake company that had a plethora of flavors because that's another thing is that you'll find something that works, but then maybe the next day you can't get it down. So I needed to have that variety. And with that variety of shakes, I could at least implement a one or two per day that would help boost the vitamins, that would help boost the minerals and get those extra calories in there on top of what I was already consuming. So baby steps, you know, like liquid diet, baby steps, and really staying away from foods that caused inflammation in the body. When you have inflammation in the body, not only are you adding to your body pain, but you're also adding to your stress and overwhelm feelings because, and I'll say this all the time, if you ever hear me speak on my page or anything like that, I'm always saying when the body is on fire inside, where do you think the priority is going to be? Is it going to be on the, you know, fighting the stresses from internally, or is it going to be addressing the stresses coming at you externally? It's going to address your stresses internally first, and it's not going to be able to help you with those external stressors. So when you can treat the body as a whole and know that by increasing your vitamins and minerals and staying away from the inflammatory foods, you're going to help yourself decrease your pain and you're going to increase your cognitive awareness so that you can actually start thinking critical again. Can we pause for a second? Because I bet. I think what I'm hearing, if I'm understanding this right, because I want to make sure that if my gamblers are out there listening to draw this correlation, and you just explained it in a way that I'm going to repeat back and you tell me if I understood it correctly, because I think I know about the inflammatory foods, or I think I do. I think you're referring to gluten and dairy and sugar and caffeine, maybe. Am I on the right track? Some of them, but what a lot of people don't know is you can be eating all the right foods. Like you can be eating the peppers, you can be eating the tomatoes, you can be eating like all the healthy foods, but if they are not the right foods for you, they will cause inflammation in the body. Okay. So it's really about like just certain consuming only certain amount of inflammatory food, not a certain amount, but like only certain anti-inflammatory foods to give the body a break. And you're only going to do that for a short time. But that goes into a whole other program that I have. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that's a whole other talk. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's nutrition. But I think what I was really trying to get out of that, and I want to make sure, so audience, note that nutrition is individual. That's what I just heard. But the premise that I wanted to run with here is with the healing on the inside out, as far as physically, if your body is combating the stressors, if you're being triggered, for example, by something stressful outside, like an argument with your spouse or some other reason that you normally would go to gamble, mm-hmm. the chances of going back out to your addiction, whether it's the substances like we're talking about or a behavioral addiction like gambling or porn addiction or whatever, you need to start with having the right foods. 
Bingo. What I'm hearing. <laughs> Bingo. You nailed it. Nailed it. <laughs> well, you, you kind of helped. You, you told me the truth there, but I hadn't, like, I talk about wellness, you know, and then that we have to be in a good place emotionally, physically, and spiritually. But I will, I can honestly say I've never drawn the dots as clearly and simply as you just did with that premise. Like, we really have to take care of our bodies to give our minds a shot. Like, yeah. so... So maybe it isn't like, I want to call everybody I know that's ever relapsed and be like, (laughs) because that's hidden. That's not something obvious to people. So like that's gold. So thank you for that. And you're welcome. Like I'm a Reiki master. I understand like the self-care and like the spiritual and the emotional healing and stuff like that. But when your nutrition for you is not on point, you can't even begin to heal those other things to the degree that you would like to heal them because the body's dealing with so many other things going on. Yeah. Just wanted to make that connection for you because you were so almost there. And it's just (laughs) like, we just got to get it a little bit further. No, I appreciate you clarifying that because yeah, yeah, that's like mind blowing to me. Good. See, you got an aha moment already. (laughs) That's why I felt very selfish. So during COVID, Jody, you don't know this about me, but I had done two episodes a day for 150 days. So it was essentially my whole journey through COVID locked up, you know, like, so every morning and every night, it was kind of like a journal, but also sharing what am I experiencing, you know, because I didn't want to relapse either. Just because the casino was closed doesn't mean that I, I couldn't go to the store and buy lotto tickets or online gambling, you know, like yeah. there was some kind of things. So it kept me accountable to my audience. It kept me working on my recovery every day, but I got away from the interviews with all the experts because it was just, there wasn't enough time. I mean, to do 14 episodes a week was a monster. Yeah. I've been going live every day for like the, since the first three weeks of COVID and that's a lot. So I can't even imagine going twice a day. Good on you. Good on you. No, thank you. Well, the, The point of this is that I've gotten away from some of my expert interviews and that I don't know everything there is to know. And we were chatting a little before we hit the record button. And I love that we're aligned on this. I feel very aligned with a lot of, I don't know if it's just the people I surround myself with, but I think that we're all in the school of there's all these options out here. We don't have to dictate, you know, as coaches, as industry leaders, we don't have to dictate what people do. We need to provide them the information and let them figure out what works best for them because we all want the same result. We all want them to be healthy and happy, you know, addiction free, thriving, like really just enjoying life. Like that's what we want. Mm -hmm. And I'm happy to get back out there and have these conversations, educate myself, educate my audience. You're just like making my day. So thank you. Oh, Bobby. Thank you. <laughs> okay. Nutrition for sure. What else do you want to share? I, I, I mean, just that alone made this whole interview totally worth it. But we can stop right here, right? Like- <laughs> what else you got for us? Okay. So when the body is in extreme pain, okay, there are choices a person has to make. 
Okay. Every day. So speaking from my experience, I could only do three sets of stairs a day. If I did anything more than that, I put myself in a tailspin where I was chasing pain and couldn't stay on top of it. So it's a really delicate balance because you know that movement will help heal the body, but you do too much movement and it can set you back for three days. So in order to help maintain that pain, I had to look for alternatives. And one of those was my meals. I could start, prep, and make a meal. But in order to have the energy and in order to have the stamina to consume it, I couldn't do any of those. I would be in too much pain if I did the starting, the prepping, the cooking, and then having to sit down and eat. No, no, the body just couldn't do it. So I had to look for things that would make things easier for me. And especially when you're coming off of narcotics or alcohol or anything like that, it's really important to keep your nourishment up. It's really important to rebuild the body and give your body what it needs to help you go through that detox and also help regulate your emotions. Because if you have no nourishment, your emotions are going to be like, we've all been hangry. Okay. (laughs) Multiply that by a thousand when you're coming off of a substance. All right. So what I actually did was I found a food company that would make smaller portions for me because I couldn't eat a full portion and they pre-cooked it for me and they divided it out into packages for me every single week and I got it delivered weekly. So all my meals were done for me and then I just had to heat it up. And this was going against me because I like rarely used a microwave before the accident (laughs) to like be reheating my meal. afterwards. But they also followed my anti-inflammatory guidelines that I gave them. So I was very... I took over my recovery. I had to be an active role in it. And I think that's where a lot of people misstep because they depend so much on others to do it for them. And if you are not an active participant in your recovery, whether it be physically, whether it be detoxing, whatever substance, whether it's changing your life pattern so you don't go to that casino and you don't go on the online gambling, right? It's changing your patterns. And if you are not an active participant, you are not going to be as successful as you can be. So really taking control of your recovery. And that's a big thing with anybody dealing with addictions is we feel like we have no control. So when you can implement strategies like, okay, I'm going to have a shake in the morning and I'm going to have a shake in the evening. And now I'm going to have this food prep company and they're going to do the work for me so I can still control what I'm eating, but I don't have to do all the effort. Right. So not only is it helping you push the easy button, but it's also looking at the obstacles that would prevent you from succeeding and problem solving around those. So it's really setting yourself up for success. And you can't do that if you're not an active participant and a leader in your recovery. I always did what I was told. Anybody told me, like, okay, Jody, you got to do this next. You got to do that next. You got to move this way. Okay, go, <laughs> right? You say go, I'll go. I, there's no negotiating here. But I still had to implement those steps. I still had to take control over that. I couldn't expect other people to do it for me. So it sounds like your philosophies are part of your personality. And you created a question in, in my mind. And I don't even know that you'd know the answer to this. So 
it's okay if you don't. If I don't know, I, I won't BS you. I'll, uh, I'll tell you I don't know. <laughs> okay. So you talked about you should have been in the hospital for 10 months. Mm-hmm. You get out at four. You want to control your recovery. All of this, in my mind, is mindful thinking, deliberate mm-hmm. strategy, deliberate thinking. Mm-hmm. My question is, was there like a aha moment or was there like a switch that went on when you were like, okay, I'm going to do this? Or is it just because it's like part of your personality and nature? Because nobody can prepare you for what you went through. Like, and you're not even talking, you're talking about physical stuff. You haven't even talked about, I mean, in detail, and I I don't necessarily want to open that wound that (laughs) way, but like when you're talking, I'm like Marley's funeral, like fam, like all these things are going through my head that, yeah, I just can't even, I can't even speak about it myself. And just because it's so much. So I'm really curious what was going on in your brain. Like what was going on? You know what? I really, here's the catch 22. You want to get into like the spiritual and the emotional healing? <laughs> Here it is. So before the accident, um, I was a Reiki master, right? And I had a really strong faith. An accident of this caliber will rock you to your core. And I can honestly say not one brick laid upon the other when all was said and done, because everything had just been torn down. Everything that I was had been completely stripped away. But it was my education that I had beforehand. And I mean, this is a sidebar here, but before my accident, my house had completely flooded. And it had to be rebuilt. And then a month and a day later, after it was rebuilt, it burnt all down. So I had experiences with insurance companies. I knew how to advocate for myself. So I knew how to advocate on a business-wise because it's a motor vehicle accident. You're going to have lawyers. You're going to have everything. So that's going on in the background. But I didn't know what I believed anymore. Because if I believed in a God, then He chose not to bring her back to life. And I remember sitting beside her body two weeks after the accident because we were allowed a viewing. And I had the faith of a mustard seed that God could bring life back into her body. And it didn't happen. She was cremated and she sits on my dresser. And every day I look at it and it gives me comfort to have her there and not in the ground. But every day I also think you could bring her back from the ashes and you choose not to. But for me, that doesn't get me better. For me, that doesn't make me a rising star that my girls can look at in the future so that when, and you can edit this out, I don't know if you, but like when the shit hits the fan, will your kids know how to rise because they watched you do it? So laying in the hospital, was it a choice on whether I wanted to get better or not? No. No, if I wanted to get back to my kids, if I wanted to have, you know, the active lifestyle that I had with them and the mom that they deserved, I had no choice but to implement everything I knew beforehand. Because without it, I would still be needing a walker today. There is no doctor here that I have seen that can believe how well I am doing, that I don't need a cane every day, that I don't need a walker throughout the day, and that I don't rely on a wheelchair. Wow. Thank you. I know I'm crying. I'm sorry. No, that's okay. I was having my moment. I talked through it. (laughs) I think you bring a a great point up. I'm grateful for 
you know how Pete has said to us to do the 75 hard thing and we had to read books and mm-hmm. all that. I failed at day 45, but that's another story. But one of the books... Hey, you made it to day 45. I never even... I looked at that and said, nope. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to try it again when I get back from my road trip. But I read Joel Olstein and he told the story in there and I'm going to probably screw it up. But that same premise was the two ladies call God. And I have to understand I'm not a God person. I don't know about this stuff. I'm learning, but I don't know. But they called Jesus to come and save this guy who was really, really sick. And he doesn't show up until after he dies. And they're like, what are you doing? And basically, I think he resurrected them. Like you have this expectation and then it's beyond this expectation. So that's what I keep thinking about. And my journey has taken me especially this last year, I've finally had all those moments. And this is where I do get a little more spiritual. Everything has had its purpose. I can see it so clearly. And it sounds, if you're not with like-minded people, it might sound really ridiculous. Like I know that I was meant to, to get XYZ dealt to me so that I'd be on the path I'm on now. Like if I didn't relapse, from my gambling, I wouldn't have met the guy. I wouldn't have made the podcast. It wouldn't have so many, you and I wouldn't have ever met, you know? So it's all, everything has led me to this point and I can be grateful for that point. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but that's what I think I was hearing from you on some level. But also, even if you haven't had that kind of thinking for the people listening to this, For the me listening to your story, you are making a difference and it does have a lot of purpose. Yeah. And life will happen to you. And that's the thing, right? Like I know that there are some people out there that says everything is happening for you, not to you. You know what? Life happened (laughs) to me on multiple occasions and I didn't manifest that. And it kind of sucks big time that I can look back and go, oh, I had this experience. So I would know how to deal with this experience. And I had this experience to know how to deal with this experience. But I think what's important here is how we use all of those learning opportunities to propel us forward and not hold us back. Because so many people get stuck in their trauma, in their past, in their experience, and they don't use it to propel them forward. They just stay stuck stuck and saw this so many times in the hospital because I was on the diabetic unit, like the amputee unit, which is a lot of diabetics, unfortunately. And there were so many reoffenders there, you know, like, oh, we'll just take the toes. Oh, well, now we're going to take the foot and now we're going to take half the calf. And it's, they didn't know how to stop getting back there. And they didn't know what to implement. And this is why I'm so passionate about helping those who have had trauma, who have had life-changing diagnoses, because I don't want you to be a reoffender. I want to be able to give tools and practical tools, okay, that you can start implementing like today, mm-hmm. you know, and not like just the, okay, take a deep breath, although that can help. But in the moment, what is that going to do, right? In the moment, you need an actionable step that you can take to help you get Back your control. Do you have any of those in your toolbox that might help us with a gambling urge or a stress? <laughs> Honestly, the number one thing that I teach any client or any person that I'm just like, hey, you know what? Like, jump on a call with me. I'm going to teach you this right now, <laughs> right? Is your calendar. 
your calendar, your calendar, your calendar. And I know you're looking at me like I'm weird. I'm so curious. (laughs) Okay. And I'm going to explain why. Okay. So remember how I keep going back to where if you can have control in your life, things seem a little bit easier, right? So if you learn to block book your calendar and have things in it where it is predictable, where it is easy. So I wake up typically around 6, 6.30. That gets put into my calendar. I take about half an hour to wake up. So that gets put into my calendar. It takes me about half an hour to get ready for the day. That gets put into my calendar. I drive my kid to school. That takes half an hour. That gets put into my calendar. Driving back is half an hour. So that gets put into my calendar. I have something to eat. That takes about 45 minutes to make and you know eat and everything. That gets put into my calendar. So it's literally micromanaging your life step by step by step. So no matter what happens in your day, you know exactly where you are, where you are, and what you can let go if things go sideways. And your brain doesn't like to work. I know a lot of people say it's like, oh, your brain is like such a great computer and it can do all these things. Honestly, your brain does not like to work. It doesn't like to think. So if you can push the easy button, By knowing how to block book your calendar from the moment you get up to the moment you go to bed, your brain just has to push the easy button and you don't have to think. So that when shit hits the fan or when you have an urge to do something that you don't really want to do, but though that drive is there, you can look at your calendar and go, what distraction do I have coming up next? What do I got to do next? What's on the go? And that is the most easiest simplest thing that I can tell anybody to do. And I actually help. And I'm, I'm going to put this out there right now. You don't know I'm going to do this. But if anybody wants to know how to block book their calendar, I will help you block book your calendar for the next coming week. Like if you've got a week on the go, call me, book an appointment free of charge, no questions, no, no sales, nothing. This is just getting you on the right track because it's a living, breathing document and it's going to change as your life changes. And life throws curveballs, right? But we're able to deal with those curveballs when we know what our predictability is and when our brain doesn't have to work so hard to remember. That is so super generous of you, Jody. Thank you so much. I think you're really onto something there. Everybody tells me they're tired listening to me a lot of times because (laughs) I have a plan like... The level you're talking about is my calendar, but not only that, it's three deep. So for example, mm-hmm. on a Wednesday night, there's Zumba at six o'clock, there's group at six o'clock, and then there was a coach I was working with that was six o'clock. So if the coach canceled, I might show up to group or, you know what I mean? Like it's, there was always backup plans mm-hmm. and yeah. call out, like people are like, whatever. And I measure things by frequency. So if something only happens once a year, that becomes a priority over something over once a month, et cetera. Mm -hmm. But the other point that I want to put out there for anybody struggling with addiction is, especially if you call Jody or if you're doing this independently, schedule your recovery time. If it's Mm -hmm. eating or hopping on a Zoom or doing whatever it is that you do, your walk, your meditation, all of that needs to be put in there then you're doing the work as you go along. 
Yeah, absolutely. Like your your self-time gets in there. Your date with your significant other gets in there. Your dates with your kids gets in there. Your downtime gets in there. Like you're scheduling downtime, right? Like everything gets put in there. And you're going to go to bed at the end of the day instead of having like this to-do list that still has to get done that makes you feel guilty, that makes you feel like a failure, that makes you feel like you're not good enough. And when you use your calendar and you use it correctly, you get to go, oh, I did this. I got that done. I got that done. I got that done. Oh, and I fed that in. And oh, I'm so great. And I'm just rocking this life thing. And this is a piece of cake. And it is. It becomes a piece of cake when your brain doesn't have to think. Wow. That's another. It was kind of hidden in there, this other piece. But the negative self-talk, those voices, Mm -hmm. right? So now you've just added another bonus to the calendar. When you're going to bed, you're not beating yourself up. You aren't yeah. feeling the guilt or the the negative emotions that come with the feelings of lack, lack of accomplishment, yeah. lack of whatever. Wow. That's yeah. And when we feel like that, then why do we even want to try? Yeah. Right. Like, why do we even want to try tomorrow? Like, why even implement change when nothing's working, when I'm not even being successful? Right. But when we can flip it and just look at all the things that we got done in our day because we literally are putting everything in our day. (laughs) And when you get really good, you can do this for the whole month or the whole three months, right? But I just start off clients with like week by week, right? Because it changes, it shifts. Like some people, it's like, oh, I forgot to put my devotions in there. Well, get your devotions in there, right? (laughs) Get your meditation in there, right? So it really is a living, breathing thing. It can change and it's pushing the easy button. You just need to know how to do it correctly. Love it. Is there anything that I did not get to inquiring about or anything I forgot to ask that you'd like to share before we wrap it up? Yeah. And I want to just talk one more thing about what an opioid addiction can be like. I can't speak to alcohol, but you know, maybe somebody out there can relate. The nightmares and the dreams that come with detoxing from this. Those of you that are familiar will know that the intensity can be so real that it can take an hour or two to figure out whether it was real or not. And I had dreams where Marley was alive and I could smell her and I could feel her little body wrapped around mine. And when I woke up, it would take me a good two hours to figure out that that wasn't real, that she was gone. And logically, I knew that she was gone. But the memory of that dream was ingrained like it had happened. And yeah, those can be known as spirit dreams or good dreams, right? She came to visit me. But there's another side of it too, where the nightmares were so vivid. There's one I remember specifically was Marley and my two other girls, Summer and River. They were playing in a pool of nuclear waste. The only thing that I can explain it to for others to understand is that there was a demon taunting me, telling me that they were all going to die. And if I wanted to be with them, I needed to go with them. And that they would not come out of that pool regardless of it saving their lives. And the fear and the pain that that dream caused, that physical pain, I could still, I when I think about it, I still think about my lungs burning because that's what I felt in that dream. I can still see the vivid colors of that nuclear waste that they were playing in. These dreams are very real and they can affect you emotionally and mentally. And if you don't have somebody in your life that understands what detoxing from these substances 
can do to you mentally and emotionally. Because I can tell you after that dream, I was racked. <laughs> I was racked for the whole next few days. And you need somebody in your corner. I was really blessed with a family that when I was having one of these days, they slept in my room beside me on the floor. They slept on the hospital floors. They slept on my bedroom floor. When most people would have walked out of the room and given me my space, they were walking in going, I'm just here. Whatever you need, you don't even have to talk. I'm just here. Find somebody like that for you because sooner or later, you're going to need somebody to just sleep on your floor, you know, figuratively or just, you know, in reality, like physically find that person, find your go-to person because they are your best route to, to keep you grounded, to keep you sane in those moments and to give you all the love because that's what you need is all the love. Yeah. Wow. I'm glad that you had that support. And I, I hear what you're saying. I like that. Sleep on your floor. Um, yeah. Totally made sense to me. Yeah. Um, well, thank you, Jody, for all of this. This was probably my most emotional episode. <laughs> so I will make sure that your information is in the show notes so that people know how to contact you for that beautiful gift that you're offering. If they Absolutely. want to get to know you any better. Yeah. Yeah. And if they could just say, you know, I heard you speaking on Bobby's podcast, you know, or, or wherever, just say, I heard you speaking, you know, and, and I'll know, I'll know. And no questions asked, no sales, nothing is just reach out to me. All right. That sounds good. All right. Well, thank you, Jody. Thank you. Do you see what I mean? There was no possible introduction that could have warned you for that story. I thank Jody for the many, many gifts she gave me during this recording, how much do I have to appreciate? You know, that's one of the biggest points I walked away from. Like, I have no reason to complain about anything. Not that it's a comparison thing, but to know that someone could get through all of those challenges and just come out this beautiful spirit, strong woman that Jodi has become and is. And I'm just honored to be in the same universe as her, really. She, um... Just definitely a great example. So thank you for sharing Jody's story with me and, and getting to listen to it. I think I have to have like a very amazing, positive quote to end this show. From Applied Alliance, we have this. Believe in yourself and all that you are. Know that there is something inside you that is greater than any obstacle. And I think that's what Jody did. All right, beautiful people. Until next time, have a great week.